You know what's awesome about doing the offering spot and also doing the message is I can skip all of the introductions. Aren't y'all excited about that? Come on, come on. Well, hey, if you have your Bible, yeah, you're like, come on, get to it. If you have your Bible, open up to our key passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to read verses 24 through 27. They'll also be on the screen. I want to encourage you, if you haven't already, download the Vintage Church app. You can follow along there as well. I happen to believe that you're always smarter with a pen or thumbs that can take notes. Come on, okay? So make sure you take some notes. We've been in this series called Run to Win. Everyone say win. Did you know God's created you to win? And I'm going to tell you, the world's trying to make you a loser, but God wants you to be a winner. You know why he wants you to win? Because that's when you're most like him. Did you know God's a winner? It's just true. Read the Bible. Don't read it as a bunch of superheroes. These were ordinary people who put God first, and guess what? They did extraordinary things, and sometimes we think it's because they were holier Right, or because they were better, but when you really look into the fine print and you see you know, all the issues that these people have, what you really realize there's one common denominator between everything great that happens in the Word of God, and that's God. Why? Because He's a winner. When you and I attach our life to His Word, we win. That's really what this series is all about. We opened up talking about the foundation, spiritual health. You've got to put God first. Last week, Pastor Daniel, our new head of school, give it up for him. Didn't he do a great job? Yeah, man, you can tell he's still in the military. You're not high and tight, haircut. Don't worry, we're going to get him some facial hair and a little longer as he spends some time on our team. Uh, but he did a great job talking about physical health. A lot of times we want to separate spiritual from the physical, but they literally dovetailed. You know what? It's very difficult to do great things for God when you're always sick. It's very difficult Right? To run your race when you have some extra, you know, love baggage on you, you know? And, and you know, it's hard when you can barely breathe to get up the stairs. It's important that you take your health seriously. Now, I'm not talking about just comparing yourself to someone else, but compare yourself to the best version of yourself. You and I both know we can all get better. It's so important. So we talked about that last week. This week, we're going to talk about our financial health. Uh, but first, let's read our key passage. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24 through 27 I love the Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, don't you know that the runners in a stadium all race, but only one, everyone say one. one. Only one receives the prize. I love that. There's no participation trophy in heaven, right? There's not, right? Run in such a way to win the prize. Now, everyone who competes exercises self-control in everything. They don't do it because they like it. That's weird. <laughs> they do it because they want to win. They receive a perishable crown, but in our race, we receive an imperishable one. That's an allusion to eternity. So therefore, I do not run like one who runs aimlessly, you know, on a treadmill. Anyway, it's funny. You ever watch those people? Why are you running? Where are you going? You know, come on. What are you running from? That's why I tell my runner friends. What are you running from? We need to talk about your spiritual life. Anyways, so then I don't run aimlessly or box like one beating the air. Instead, I discipline. Everyone say discipline. Oh, man, come on, amen to that. Y'all are like, no, I don't think so. <laughs> so I discipline my body and bring it under strict control. Why do you have to discipline your body? Because it doesn't naturally want to do the right thing. Why? Because it wants to fight every time the dessert plate comes. Come on. I went to dinner with my wife. We had a couple of days out in Fort Worth. And, man, we just we said, okay, we're going to share a dessert. And it was this bread pudding. How many of y'all have bread pudding? And we've made a habit, and it's a difficult one, but we determined we will never finish everything on our plate. I'm just telling you. It's like supersize me. That's American portions. Come on. You do not have to eat everything on your plate. 
Some of you mothers are going, I don't know about that. Now, if you're at home and your mom says, you need to listen to them, okay? Anyways, but the truth is, I'm like, I, I feel it rising up. I just want to eat it all. How many of you have ever felt that way? I mean, maybe it's not bread pudding. Maybe it's something else. But we all have issues disciplining our body. Why is it that we have to bring it under strict control? Because after preaching to others, he says, I myself may not be disqualified. The idea here isn't disqualification because of sin or any of that. Matter of fact, this is the only place in the New Testament where the word disqualified is ever used. And he's using it for eternity. You know, there are lots of people, right, who put on their Christianity like a jacket. Okay, they put it on like an accessory. And they say on the outside that they're Christians, but the reality is they really aren't. What Paul's saying is, I have to discipline myself because I don't naturally want to do the things God's called me to do. And what happens if I don't have discipline, I may actually, right, I may actually miss heaven and hit hell. That's what he's saying. He's talking about his eternal destination. And that's why it's so important that you and I take seriously our walk with God. How many of you guys are enjoying Thursday night? Anybody come to Thursday night? You should come. Okay, if, if, if you're in here and you're thinking to yourself, man, I really want to go deeper. I really want to grow as a disciple. I want to encourage you to come because it, that's really what we're focusing on. Um, what we're going to do in this message is we're kind of building here. So we talked about spiritual health. We talked about physical health. Okay, the next one up is financial health. As I was studying financial health, did you know the vast majority of Americans statistically, financially, could not, could not take care of a $400 emergency? Think about this for a minute. Let's say you're, li- you're going throughout your life. Something happens that costs you $400. The majority of Americans who live in the richest nation on planet Earth, not just today, but in every other time in human history, that the majority of us, because we are so overextended, because, and listen, this has happened to me. At some point, I had to tell my wife, enough with the remodeling. We're done. Right? What? Right? At some point, she's looking at me. She goes, you wanted that too. Yeah, maybe a couple things, okay? (laughs) But at some point, what happens is we get so wrapped up in this material world because we can touch it, we can feel it, that we, we, we don't always live our life according to like the principles of the greater spiritual world. Yeah. And as a result, we end up super overextended. And a lot of our stress comes from what we're going to talk about today. And so if there was ever a time, here's what I want you to do. I'm going to talk about a lot of things. I have lists. Don't worry, it's going to be good. I don't need you. Don't focus on doing everything. I believe the Holy Spirit's going to speak to you and he's going to show you one thing. And here, here's my encouragement, because this is how you grow. A lot of people think you grow by taking leaps you know, over big, tall buildings, right, in a single bound. That's not how you grow. There's no such thing in the Bible as a leap of faith. There's only a step of faith. And so what does that mean? Well, you can only take one step at a time. So here's what I would challenge you to do. Don't get so overwhelmed. There's going to be lots of things. The Holy Spirit's going to talk to you in a way that I can never have planned. I want to make sure I give you a broad picture of what it looks like to be financially healthy as a believer, it's very difficult to be a blessing. Here's what I've realized in my own life. Uh, I, I love blessing people. There's a, there's a gift of giving that's above and beyond what normal Christians or people do. It's a spiritual gift. It's in Romans chapter 12. It's a Romans 12 gift of giving. My wife and I walk in that. And here's what we learned early on in our marriage, that there's no way I can fully walk into that gift if I'm always broke. And it, you know, it's hard to be a blessing to the world when you're living paycheck to paycheck. It's hard to be a blessing to others when you barely have enough for yourself, isn't it? Sure, there's sacrificial moments where you gotta step in and obey God, but even that's teaching you many of the principles that I'm gonna lay out today. And so, I want everyone say one. I want you to look for one thing. 
Okay, so there's five biblical principles that really provide a picture. So I'm going to give you five principles, okay, and then I'm going to give you seven practices. I'm starting with the principles for a reason. I'm starting with the principles because if you start the practices but you don't understand the why or the principles, you won't follow through. You'll just make a resolution, you'll get going, but you won't understand why what you do today massively impacts your financial future tomorrow. And as a result, you'll get halfway through right when you're about ready to get some momentum. I've seen this with people. Right when they're about ready to get some momentum because they weren't built on a solid foundation, right? They end up like the storm hits them and instead of holding their ground and standing, they end up sinking sand into the ocean, right? And they just stop and they end up in the same place. Except this time, it's actually worse than the previous place because they say things like, I tried that and it didn't work. Here's what I would say. Anything that God tells you to do that you, that you actually do in your life and it doesn't work, it's not God. Or, let me say it this way, you didn't do it right. And so what I want to do with the principles is I'm going to teach you how to do it right. Now, I'm, I'm going to give you these, and I, I think it's really, 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 really key. Um, okay, so the first one is, and this is the foundation. Pretend like we're building a pyramid here. Okay, honor. Honor is the first one. We talk a lot about this here. That's really why we do a giving spot every single week. Did you know Jesus had more to say about money and possessions than faith, hope, and love combined in the entire Bible? Why? Because he knew that we would have this tendency to allow our stuff to have us. You know that's true. You know that's true. I think when we look around our world, I think we should all look at some of the most famous people and thank them. This is what I mean. The most famous, wealthy people in Hollywood, we should look at them and say, thank you for giving me a picture of how material possessions will never give lasting meaning and fulfillment. <laughs> Thank you. You have everything I think I need to make it, and yet your life is a disaster. Now, I want you to have Jesus. Okay, that's great. We want you to have Jesus. But thank you for a picture that having more does not mean more fulfillment and meaning. Okay, and this is really what the honor principle is all about. It's keeping God in first place. The Bible teaches us that we should honor God in all aspects of our life, including our financial decisions. Genesis 4, 2 through 5. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord, and Abel also presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Hold that scripture up there for just a minute. This is a story I'm going to talk about this week and Thursday night, and I'm going to talk about the issue of racism in our world, particularly resentment. There's lots you can learn from the story of Cain and Abel. Uh, but this is fascinating. You learn something about these two. First of all, you have Cain, who's a farmer. His hands are in the dirt. And you have Abel, who's a shepherd. This is a picture, by the way, of Jesus as well. Jesus was a shepherd. They have an offering, which one must assume that both of them knew exactly what they were supposed to bring. Now, I want you to focus here on this. It says that Abel, it says, it says that in the course, so here it says, Abel presented an offering, the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. So Abel brought the best offering. This is a picture of the tithe. I'm going to talk about this in a minute. He brought the first and the best before he had a promise of the rest. That's the idea, which is what God asked. Look what it says with Cain. In the course of time, Cain presented what he wanted when he wanted. Think about that for a minute. This is a big deal. God accepted one, but didn't accept another. 
Okay, they both knew what the right thing to do was, was to honor God. And I'm just going to tell you, God literally looked, it goes on to say, I'm not, I'm not going to quote it because we don't have time. I'm going to talk about it Thursday. God reprimanded Cain and said, Cain, you know if you do right, you'll be rewarded. Beware, sin is crouching at the door. The picture of crouching at the door is literally in the ancient language. It's literally an aroused cat, like a lion ready to pounce. That's what it is. That's the picture. That's how sin is in our life when we don't put God first. This is how serious the principle of first is. You know what I've learned about tithing, which is giving the, 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 the first 10% of everything you make back into your local church. That's what it is. By the way, if this isn't your local church and you end up moving somewhere, you don't keep tithing here. That's not the tithe. The tithe goes to your local church. Why? So that we can teach and instruct people in the way of the Lord. So we can start school. So we can do all kinds of things. But you know, it's not really about that. You know, the tithe, is not, the tithe isn't about God's house. Now, he'll use it to bless God's house because he's just that good. He'll use it to, in turn, bless us, but it's not, about our, it's not about his house. It's about our house. It's making sure that our house is right, right? On average, less than 10% of the body of Christ who say they're Christians and come to church every week actually tithe. And this isn't an issue about the church. By the way, the church will be fine. It's always been fine. Like, God will take care of it. He always has. All right? This is, but, but when I look out at people struggling, they miss this. This is the foundation. By the way, before you do anything else, you have to do that first. And it's not something that you do gradually. It's the word tithe is the word master. It means 10%. And it's not just a 10%. It's the first 10%. Meaning that the first thing you do when you get paid is you literally return the tithe. Also, you return it, you don't give it. No giving starts below 10%. It only starts at 11% above. That's, that's offering. Does that make sense? And I know, I know this is hard because you're sitting here thinking, by the way, we're doing great, just to be clear. I've tied since I was 16 years old. And I'll tell you right now, I've tied when we had nothing and I've tied when we've had a lot. Can I just tell you, you better learn it when you have little because it's a lot harder when the zeros start getting added. The Bible says faithful with little, trusted with more. We want God to give us more, but we're not faithful with what he has. I remember times when we couldn't afford giving. Remember that? I'm, oh my gosh, we couldn't afford the tithe, certainly. I looked at my wife one time. We had just gotten married. We had like $600 in the bank account, rent's coming. We were just, we had no idea what we were gonna do. And I looked at her and I said, babe, we can't afford to tithe. She looked me in the eye like a woman of God, and she says, oh, no. We can't afford not to. You put that money in the offering, or I'll take it and put it in there for you. And I said, yes, ma'am. <laughs> My point is, a lot of times, people look at God's people getting blessed. You've got to realize you've got to put God first, right? He wants, he wants to use you to be a blessing to others. He wants to put more than you need in your hand. But if you can't be faithful with what, he put in, what he's put in your hand, he can't trust you. That's what the tithe is all about. If you want to know more about this, I actually do a full teaching. All right, you can go to vintage.church forward slash give. I do a full teaching of this principle of first. But we've got to start there because it's first. Everyone say first. So when, when do you start? Right now. <laughs> you start right now. How much do you give? 10%. It's not like, well, I'm, I'm on a journey of tithing. I'm going to start with 2%. That's not a tithe. Tithe is 10%. By the way, 10% for you is 10% for others is 10%. By the way, if we elect anybody, we need to go with the flat tax. I'm just saying. But that's just another thing. It's my opinion. I, if it was, well, taxes, I'd say maybe 2%. But anyways. <laughs> okay, next, next. So you build on honor. Honor is the biggest, most important step because it's the hardest. Okay, I, I believe this. I've seen this in my own life. If you can obey God with the hardest, did you know all the other commandments are fine? Like, I've noticed this. When my, when my financial house is in order, by the way, your money really isn't just your money. It's actually your life. You trade it. You trade your life for it. You do. It's your life. It's, it, God doesn't need your money. Give me a break. He wants your life. He wants your whole heart. That's, that's the point. 
So, so if you can trust him with that, okay, then you can understand this next principle, okay, with everything else you have, and that is stewardship. Everyone say stewardship. The Bible teaches us that we are stewards rather than owners of the resources God has given us. That means that everything in the world, when you put God first, all of a sudden it opens up and you go, wow, everything belongs to him and he's entrusted with me to use it as he would have me use it. All right, and here's what 1 Peter 4.10 says, but it's not just about money either. It's about everything else. Money's the hardest because it's the most tangible. I mean, chances are you have no idea what I talked about last week or what Daniel talked about last week. You couldn't give me one main point, but, but you do know how much is in your bank account. You see what I'm saying? I do, <laughs> right? All right, 1 Peter 4.10, just as each one has received a gift, use it to serve. I would say serve, sure. to serve others as good stewards of the varied grace of God. You learn, how to do, you learn how to honor, all of a sudden you can begin to become a steward. You can learn how to steward. And that's everything. That's your time, your talents, and your treasure, your stuff, right? All right, so you start realizing, hey, now I'm a steward. Everything's God. You know, I should probably get involved in church. I should go to Membership University because, you know, I've been coming to this church for weeks and months and I still haven't actually gotten involved. And you have all these excuses, right? I don't have time. Give me a break. God asked for like, a tenth. He gives you the 90 to enjoy. You know, God gives you six days to work and you can't give him a seventh on the Sabbath. I'm just saying, you know what I'm saying? This, this, this is a principle that cascades into your life and blesses your whole life. That's what stewardship is all about. Everyone okay? Y'all okay? Thursday night's got me in a discipleship mood. If you're in here and you're thinking, man, is this what it means to follow Jesus? My answer would be yes. You should really, really consider the commitment before you raise your hand at the end of service. All right. Next, diligence. Ooh, ooh, nobody's going to amen this one. Okay, the Bible teaches that work is biblical. The Bible teaches that we work to rest rather than rest to work. So you understand honor, you start building stewardship, then you understand work. God says, you do your work in six days. Work came before the Sabbath. Did you know that? Many of us, we want to rest before we work. That's not what the Bible teaches us. Like many of us, we think that we're to live from vacation to vacation. That's not what the Bible teaches us. The Bible teaches us that we're to work six days. You know what the work week was in Bible times? Six days a week from sunup to sundown. Some of us, were just so overwhelmed. Gosh, you know, we get to go home and pick up our kids at school at three. We get to kind of decide whatever. We get to work from home in our pajamas. You know, we have a long shift and it's the end of the world. A little grumpy boss, whatever it is. You know what'll happen if you give it everything you've got, work is under the Lord for six days a week. Oh my gosh, the Sabbath will be glorious for you. You'll love it. You get to serve people. Listen, work is the four-letter word that came before all the other bad ones. <laughs> Proverbs 6.10 says this, a little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the arms to rest, and your poverty will come like a robber, your need like a bandit. What does it mean? Get up and work. That's what a steward realizes. Every single one of your minutes, of your seconds matters to God. Don't waste it right? Next, we see contentment. This is wild because, remember, cascades down. You realize that you're putting God first. You start to understand that you're a steward, and then you give it everything you got to work. Do you know what? Contentment is what comes next. Do you know why our world's not content? They didn't do the previous three. Three is the number of completion. I just saw that. Three is the number of completion. You do the three. Three is a perfect number. Son, Father, Holy Spirit. Spirit, soul, and body. A good marriage is God, one man, one woman, 
biological man and biological woman with God for life. What, right? You know why marriages fail? They don't put God first. That's why. Right? What is that? What, what, you get the benefit after you do it. Right? So, so contentment is this thing that, that, that literally it teaches us. It's the, so the Bible teaches us that we should be content with what we have rather than constantly striving for more. Philippians, now this is crazy because if you get there, God actually gives you more. I can't tell you how many times I'm just like, God, I'm just, you're so good. Everything's just great. And all of a sudden, it's like he wants to give me more. And now it always comes with more responsibility, to which case I go, oh, Lord. <laughs> right? Philippians 4, 11. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know how to make do with a little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all, I wouldn't say all. In all, even the bad ones, I have learned the secret of being content. It's a secret, something you've got to fight for. You've got to discover. Well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or not. Jesus says this in Matthew 6, 19. Don't store up for yourself treasures in earth where moth and rust destroy. Have you noticed stuff just breaks? All the time stuff breaks. The trampoline, the big windstorm, it's like the third one. Just flips up and breaks. It's like, I don't have time for that. Do you notice that? Everything just breaks. Have you noticed your kids' rooms don't just fix themselves? Right? Lord's saying, don't put your hope in that. Many of us, we put our hope in that. And the houses we live in, the cars we drive, they're just going to become somebody else's. Look, okay, I love doing this. <laughs> take a deep breath in. Take a deep breath out. I want you to think about all the things in this world, all the things that you have, all the things that you want one day, all the aspirations you have in this earth and from this and, you know, the goals. Once you look around your world, all of its splendor, now look at me. None of that will be yours one day. We come into this world with nothing and we leave, if we're smart, with something not of this world that's way better. I've been around a lot of deathbeds and never once have I had anybody look up to me, both righteous and wicked, look at me and say, man, I just wish I had more stuff. I just wish I had one more room in my house. Wish I had achieved, gotten that. I'm not, I'm not against things. I like things. I like shoes, you might have noticed. Okay, but shoes don't own me. You can ask my wife. I give them away all the time. I mean, crap to me. She can't stand it. You know, she's a little different than I am. She's like, she has l less stuff, but it means more to her. I have more stuff, and it means less, right? But, but the truth is, none of this is going to be yours one day. And if you attach your heart to it, it won't sustain. And you'll wonder why you're, you hit the goal, you got the promotion, and there's still no meaning. What is that? What, you, well, that, doesn't, that stuff doesn't give meaning. All right, all right, all right. Finally, I love this. You'll start to discover from contentment, you'll discover generosity. The Bible teaches that we should be generous with our resources, first in giving to the church, and that's important. You know why you tithe before you do anything else? The tithe doesn't go to Compassion International. It doesn't go to your, your kids' football team. You learn to be generous in the house of God first. Well, how would the church be different if we learned God's word and how to, how to deal with each other here before we went to the world? That's why we're doing Thursday nights. I tell our church this all the time. Is the, is the world going to hell in a handbasket? Yeah, it's prophesied. It's all over the scripture. How are we light and salt? Not by being gaslit by the world, by getting in body and being more loyal to our church than we are to anyone else. By learning how to work through difficulty, conflict, pain. You know, we're all imperfect people. People come in our guest suite all the time. Maybe you're new and you're gonna do that. You know, Pastor, this is the greatest place ever. I'm gonna teach you how we fight hell to make it that way in membership university it does not happen by accident let me tell you right but they come in this place is so great 
Man, not like my last church. Those people are vipers. Those people are mean, crotchety. Man, I think they love the devil. And I look forward and I go, hey, hey, those people are here too. (laughs) And chances are, you're going to bump into some of them. Let me show you this. Let me show you this. Let me show you this. You have to learn to get over that. Church hurt is not a real thing. It's, it's, it's garbage. It's not a real thing. What, you bumped your head? Maybe if you slipped and fell, maybe the church hurt you. Did you bump your head on the top of the door? We, are, we have just become weak about dealing with pain, sin, and offense. Quit whining. This is a broken, fallen world. We're called to be light. You know what that means? We, we trade off. You know what I have to trade off to walk with people who are sinful? A lot of how I think they should act and what I think they should be. You know what's great about a big church? Even if you find some of them snakes and vipers, there's always more people. Come on, somebody, anyways. All right, y'all all right? God wants us to be generous and helping others in need. Proverbs eleven twenty four: One person gives freely yet gains more. Another person withholds what is right only to become poor. A generous person will be enriched and the one who gives a drink of water will receive water. Here's the big principle. And I'm gonna give you seven practices that are gonna be fast. Here's, this, is the, this is the principle. The person who holds on Everything that they really want slips through their fingers. The person who lives like this, remember, you can't learn to live like this. Put that list back up here. This is in order. We don't have a lot of order in our culture. Let me give you the order. You honor God first. I'm going to say first. By the way, he's first even if he's not first in your life. You, you have to bring your life under his firstness, right, or you'll never receive the blessing of it. Next, you have to learn that you're a steward, that all this crap isn't yours, and it's all fading away, and the only thing that matters is how God tells you to use it. It's the only thing that matters. Next, you have to learn how to work. What would happen if believers actually, I, I, tell, pe- I tell young people all the time, you know the greatest thing you can do is, is just smile, show up on time, and do 1% more than your boss asks you, and you will be the CEO of wherever you're working at in five years. Stop waiting for the perfect boss. This side of heaven, there isn't one. I'm not one. I got lots of people who aren't on our staff anymore that would testify. Come on, anybody. <laughs> The truth is, there is no per- there, that, that's, that's not, you learn that, right? You learn how to work. Then all of a sudden, you discover this crazy thing, which is a byproduct of honor, stewardship, and diligence. It's contentment. All of a sudden, you're like, okay, God, like, you really are good, and I don't have to put my hope in that, but I can still walk with broken people. I can still, I can, but I don't, my hope doesn't have to be attached. A lot of believers get super insecure and super mean because they're insecure. Meanness, it's all fear. It's all fear-based. I feel like I have to defend my religion or my faith, right? And it comes off with kind of an ugly, you know, spirit to it. And then finally, God wants us to be generous. How many of you guys don't want to, don't want to help other people? How many of you guys, when they have a problem, you'd love to be able to say yes, right? How many, I mean, we, we all want to be able to do that, okay? But we have to work down to, to that. Does that make sense? Let me give you seven practices of financial health. I'm going to go fast. Um, and again, you're going to struggle. Here's what I would say. Wherever you stop is where the problem is. So start at the top. If you're not tithing, that's where the problem is. Start tithing. Uh, next, if, you, if, you, if, you're, if you're too connected to your stuff, tithing will help with that. Uh, go back. Sorry. That's, that is the first one. Go back. Okay. Okay. If you, if you don't have a work ethic, like you're working under God, why don't you work on that? You know, why don't you work on being a great employee before you criticize your boss? Just a thought. What about this next thing? Maybe you're not content. Maybe you need to learn, like, you know, I am where I am. By the way, if you're in your 20s, 
Stop trying to be a millionaire. By the way, you'd get the money and you'd lose it anyways. You'd waste it. I had a job one time. I literally sold extended car warranties for nine months. I made $270,000 ripping off old ladies. I couldn't stand it anymore. By the way, I never ripped off Social Security. I did. I did I, guys with big trucks, I, I took them. And it was disgusting. It was dishonest gain. And you know, what I had, you know what I had to show for it a year later? Nothing. You know why? Because wealth, God's way, is not built in a landfall. It's built little by little over time. You know why? Because you learn something called character and honesty, right? You, and you actually learn how to keep it, right? It's so important. Work is a huge deal. Being content. And then, and then ultimately, generosity. From contentment, you realize God's given you more you can share. You can be a blessing to others. Okay, here's seven practices in one minute. Y'all ready? <laughs> Number one, tithing. Do I need to talk about that anymore? Y'all got it? Tithe. Two, budget. It's crazy. If you're going to be a steward, you have to know what comes in and you have to know what goes out. That's what budgeting is. Do you know where every bit of your money goes? Chances are you don't. And the longer you've been without one, the more you have these little leeches that hang on. It's just $9.99 for this subscription. It's just $2.99 over here. It's just this, right? You've got to have a budget. You've got to know what comes in. You've got to know what goes out. If you, don't control your, if you don't control your income and your spending, somebody else will. Next, you've got to learn to save. I know it's wild. There's scriptures for all these. I think it's in your notes. Do you have the scripture references there? Read them on your own. Okay. You have to learn to save. I know this is wild, but if you devour all that you have, that's foolish. You have to put some aside. It's not a matter of if, it's just when something unexpected happens. And we love to blame God, right? We didn't prepare, but we love to blame God when something unexpected happens, as if that's not the world we live in because of sin and decay. Next, you have to learn to manage. It's managing. This is all about debt. You have to learn to manage things. There are good and bad debts. Debt attached to an appreciating asset, good thing. By the way, you always want to buy low or sell high. You don't get that with real estate. You know, you're sitting here, man, it's called, I'm called to buy a house. I, I'm going to stop being a slave to the, to the renter. You know, I'm going to the landlord. You don't want to buy one right now. Just saying, sorry, realtors. That's, I'm going to get emails. Next, investing. You got to learn to invest some. What's that mean? Learn to let your money work for you. We should be wise, right? Plan for the future, invest. We have funds for our kids' college that we won't spend on college. There's no way my kids are going to these colleges. But there's some other places that we spend that money. What about this? Learning. Learning. I love Proverbs 4, 7. Wisdom is supreme, so go get you some. I'm going to paraphrase. <laughs> That's what it says, literally. Wisdom is supreme. Get better at what you do. You know? If you're sitting there in the drive through line, chucking french fries, thank God you can learn. How do you make it more efficient? What's a problem that constantly happens? Learn something about it. Now, unless you're called to dig in ditches, nobody wants to be 60 years old digging ditches. The reason you get there is because you'd stopped learning. And I have to learn. The iPhone just drives me crazy. Right when I get comfortable, they change everything. It's been the greatest source of learning in my life. Like, challenge yourself a little bit. Instead of cursing technology, you know, don't worship it, but leverage it. Learn. You can literally put something in your ear in the car. It's called Automobile University. You could literally give yourself an incredible education just by listening. The Bible says faith comes by hearing too. 
And God will use that, you know, to give you an idea, to help you, help the rest of us. And then finally, coaching. Some of us, we just need coaches. This is what the church is all about. Ask somebody for help. If you're hor- I'm not good at everything. There's lots of people that help me with a ton of stuff. I have so many coaches in my life. That's what the church is all about. Getting somebody. You know somebody who's better with money than you are. You know somebody who's healthier physically than you are. Right? You know somebody that, man, their faith, when they pray, something happens. Guess what? Tap them on the shoulder. For most people who are good at something, unless they're just narcissistic idiots, and there's some of those, most people just, they'd love to say yes. You know the most fulfilling thing you can do is give away something that God's done in your life. And, and you tap a coach and you go, hey, will you work with me on that? They love to be able to say yes. And they may not do it on your terms, you know, but they love to say yes. My encouragement is lean into one of these seven things. God, what are you calling me to do in one of these areas? I believe he's gonna give you a step. My advice is take it. And I believe on the other side of that, you can be more financially healthy this year than you've ever been. Let me pray for you. God, I thank you so much, Lord, for the power of your word. I thank you, Father, for your goodness. I thank you, God, that your word helps us win in every area. You never tell us to do something that doesn't have a benefit for us. I pray, God, that we would have faith in your word, faith in your power, faith in your work in our lives. Father, I also pray for anybody in here that doesn't know you. I pray, God, that they would put their faith in you. Their next step isn't getting financially healthy. It's getting eternally secure. And I pray by your Holy Spirit, you would soften their heart that if they came here far from you, they would leave here different. His heads are bowed, eyes are closed. We're almost done. This is something we do in every single service, every single time. And that is we provide a place and a space for people far from God to draw near to him. Maybe you're in here today and you're far from God. Listen, I'm not gonna get a magnifying glass out and ask you a bunch of awkward questions. You know if you're wrong with, if you're, if you're not right with God. You know if you're just playing. You know if you're not serious about your faith. Maybe at some point you made a commitment, but you haven't followed through. You've been taken in by the deceitfulness of this world and wealth and all of this stuff. Maybe you've never given your life to Christ. You've gotten really good at being cynical, shaking your hands at God, but you've never actually given him a chance. God loves you more than you could possibly imagine. And in a moment, I just wanna pray for you. If you're in here and you'd say, listen, I'm, I'm far from God, I don't wanna be. Listen, I'm not gonna embarrass you. I'm not gonna make you stand up. I'm not gonna draw you forward. The Bible does say, Jesus himself says that the person who acknowledges me before men, I'll acknowledge before my father. The one who doesn't, I won't. Between me, you, and God, if you're in here and you're far from him, you need to acknowledge it if you're really serious. And then I wanna just pray for you. If that's you, would you just put your hand up halfway, put it right back down as you've been here, you say, that's me. Anybody? Anybody? I see you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. By the way, you're never the only one. That always happens. First one raises their hand and then everyone else is like, hey, me too. It's true. We all struggle. Is there anyone else? You say, Pastor, that's me. Pray for me. In a moment, I'm gonna just pray a prayer. I told you I'd pray for you. I'm gonna ask you to pray too because the Bible says you have to make a free will decision with your mouth to allow Christ to come into your life. He doesn't bully himself into your life. So right there where you're sitting, I'm gonna lead you in a prayer from the book of Romans chapter 10, verse nine. And I wanna encourage you to allow this prayer to be an expression of why you raised your hand. Here's what I promise you will happen because it happened with me and it happened with all the people around you. When you surrender your life to Christ, all of a sudden, he steps into your life and he gives you another step. He connects you to other people. All of a sudden, the Bible says you're born again 
In a moment, I'm going to lead you in that prayer. I want to encourage you to let this prayer be an expression of why you raise your hand. As a matter of fact, the Christians around you, we're going to all pray with you too because all of our faith either started or restarted from this free will confession. My advice to you as you're praying or even afterwards is to do whatever God tells you to do and then do the next thing and the next thing. And all of a sudden, you'll look up and you'll realize you're not far from him anymore. And truthfully, he was never really far from you to begin with. Church, we believe in what they're doing. Let's pray this prayer all together. Let's pray, Jesus, thank you for coming to this earth, for being with us, for living the life that we were, ever, we were never able to live. Thank you for dying on the cross and paying for our sin. Thank you for raising from the dead. Jesus, you conquered death once and for all to give me eternal life once and for all. Today I choose life. Today of my own free will, I make you my Lord, my Savior, and my King. Lead me and guide me. Show me what's next. I am yours. It's in your name that we pray. And everybody said, amen. Amen. Come on, church. Let's put our hands together for everybody who did that. And can we thank Pastor Stephen for that message?